Psychologically talk. I'm talking about ethics. You you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox and now sell it. You want to sell it well. The same. <laughs> I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. They'll soon be back and in greater numbers. Any friend of Olive's is a friend of our daughter's. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. Let's watch my favorite part again. Shall we? Hello, I'm Daniel. And I'm Amanda. And you're listening to Scenes from a Marriage, a movie podcast in which we, as a married couple, watch movies and then do not talk about them for many, many, many months. months. (laughs) (laughs) Forever. (laughs) Yeah, we we start pandemic projects and we were stuck inside watching TV four out of five weeknights. And so we say, yes, I have time to start a podcast and record it and edit it every couple of weeks. And then... COVID pretends to go away and then it doesn't. Exactly. And then life comes back with the force of a tidal wave and... A baby. Uh, I'm sorry, a what? A baby. Uh, what, what does a baby have to do with this? Oh, I was just saying, we've got things going on in our life. We got things going on, for sure. Yeah. That was a, <laughs> that was a sneak announcement. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I ruin it? No, you, you, you're the announcer. You're the one. We're having a baby, but everybody already knows. So if you listen to this because you're our friends and family, cool. That's right. This is a, uh, this is a podcast for, <laughs> for our parents and <laughs> our the Cardis and Billy Green. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Billy Green, this podcast goes out to you. This Honestly, goes, I'd like yep. to de- dedicate this to you because we are also just really behind on... what. The subject that we're going to speak about, uh, because this is, and actually one of the most recent episodes that we did was our Best Picture nominee assessment countdown ranking, whatever you want to call it, that was we it did really? last year. It was like, I don't know, it's like been like three or four episodes ago or something oh. like that. So I know that, and we, we managed to get that one out actually around the same time last year. After the Oscars? No, but it was before because the oh, Oscars were late. That's right. They're not quite as late this year, so we are behind. And I know that in the realm of pop culture, it's now ancient history. And so we're going to catch you up. We're excited to be back. Amanda, I'm pleased that you're here across the table for me now to be able to talk movies again. We've got our new setup which was part of the uh, delay that we had in getting new episodes out. So you uh, sit up at our dining room table at our dining room table. That's right. <laughs> so Prim might make an appearance sometime. Yeah. Hopefully we can get her to meow on mic. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. It'd be, it'd be great. So we, and again, I just said, you know, it's ancient history, the Oscars, but it was only a couple of weeks ago. And because we do host an annual Oscars party, it seems incumbent upon us to talk about it. And also because we did take it upon ourselves to watch all 10 of the Best Picture nominees. Yeah. Wait, is there not normally 10? There are not normally 10. Oh, yeah. It was a lot this year. The Quite an undertaking. Since the field expanded in 2009, there have usually been either eight or nine 
nominees. This year they decided we're going for 10 no matter what. And so we got 10. And just the undertaking that this is, uh, for those of you who don't normally follow all these movies, I just want to, I just want to uh, point this out because not only were there more movies than usual, they were long movies. <laughs> yes, they were. They were very long. And I calculated this out. The total runtime of all 10 movies combined was 1,396 minutes or 23 hours and 16 minutes in total. So almost an entire day spent watching <laughs> these 10 movies. We watched a whole day worth of movies dispersed through time. Yeah, over the course of, I don't know how many months, maybe four or five. Wow, it feels like a waste of life for some of these. <laughs> <laughs> and the average length of those movies was two hours and 19 minutes. So the, the average nominee is just just long. And I don't Hope know... We get shorter films next year. I think only two of these maybe come in under two hours. So it was definitely... Uh, was King Richard one of those? No, King Richard was, oh, was, was long. long it, was, okay. it was about 220. Maybe licorice pizza. We don't know. It will actually. It was. It was Coda and Belfast. Oh, the, the short, really? the shorter ones. Yeah. Belfast felt extremely long, though. Okay, we'll, well get to that. <laughs> yeah, we will because I think I think I agree with you that Belfast felt longer than King Richard, even though King Richard was the longer film. <laughs> but before we dive into these, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. Everybody now knows about the slap incident. It's mm-hmm. you've all seen the memes. It's you know that the news cycle good memes has passed there. on. Well, there were. There were some good memes. Yeah, Men in Black, anyway. Because we were there watching it, and I don't think a lot of people were in comparison to, you know, they're always trying to get more and more people to watch the Oscars, right? Right, everyone was asleep when it happened. So, and a couple of people have asked us this, so I thought I would ask you on mic, what was the reaction, your reaction or the reaction here when Will Smith ascended the stage and slapped Chris Rock? Yeah, our reaction was... What just happened? Did they plan that? Was that on purpose? And I think we were just in shock. Uh, maybe a few like commercial breaks in. It yeah. took a little bit for it to, yeah. Yeah. Um, especially until the part that, who who was it that won the next award? It was Questlove winning for documentary for Summer of Soul. Right. So I think like even after that, we were like, what? But then um, Annie looked up some memes and everything and we were like okay that that wasn't supposed to happen <laughs> yeah definitely were there were some deniers out there maybe there still are but uh it was that I mean, definitely he yeah he did that well now will smith is banned from the academy for 10 years so if it's a ruse then it's they're really going all the way with it yeah yeah but he definitely wasn't. the craziest thing that's happened at the oscars since the moonlight la la land mix-up oh yeah wow that was weird and crazy it That's was. awkward. That's so awkward. There's so many awkward <laughs> so, things. So like if you don't watch the Oscars, maybe just watch it for awkwardness. That could be fun. You and I listened to a little bit of a an interview with uh, the showrunner this year and where he said, if you recall, that he would consider it a success if it was an entertaining show. Do you think he, that was achieved? Honestly, no, not really. I mean, if it weren't for Will Smith... It would be kind of a dud. Um, they were really talking up the ladies that were hosting it. It was Amy Schumer. Um, Regina Hall and Regina Wanda Hall. Sykes. That's right. And yeah, they they were not entertaining. The only entertaining part was Amy Schumer's one little part. I think when she was alone 
out there and she was telling all of her jokes. That was funny. But like when she came back after mm-hmm. the slap had happened. Right. Um, yeah, maybe it was after or maybe it was before. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, whenever that was, we all know when it was because that was when everyone thought that was the funniest part. I actually have to agree. And I think I like probably a lot of people were a little surprised that I thought Schumer acquitted herself the best out of all the hosts. Yeah. Or at least her bits seemed to work the best. Like the whole thing with them going through the Academy Museum kind of yeah, was lame. fell flat, I thought. And the whole like getting the men up front to do that was that was just that was yeah. poor. That was not good. Um, yeah. And I think even people in the crowd were like, what is going on? Um, but So if there was a high point for you for uh for the ceremony, what did you think worked the best? Probably that bit with Amy Schumer or like when she came down as Spider-Man. I'm kidding. That part was, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> or a win or a speech that stood out to you. Um, well, I liked when, um, wow, I'm really, I'm really bad with names, but, uh, the woman who's in West Side Story. Oh yeah. Ariana DeBose. Yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed her speech and like, she was genuinely happy that she won and I thought that was well-deserved. She did a good job. I thought that was great, too, because there's been a little bit of chatter on the awards circuit about how her speeches at previous shows, because she's won a lot of precursor awards Mm. for that role, have been a little bit stiff, a little practiced. And I do think that her Oscar acceptance speech seemed uh, very genuine. Yeah. Yeah. So and and I hate that something like Will Smith can uh, overshadow, you know, all of the good things that happened or, well, you know, the people who won the awards that rightly should have but anyway indeed yeah and i thought troy kotzer's win for coda oh yeah as supporting actor that was really sweet was a nice moment mm-hmm. expected moment but a nice moment mm-hmm. also the win for drive my car oh i love that um so did you think it was a dud what did you think of the oscars especially being somebody who hosts the oscar party every year which i've only been to a few of them since we've been married but you this is what what year is this this was the 10th annual, mm-hmm. at least going back by my records, it seems to be the, the 10th one that we've done. So that's a, that's a good block of Oscar parties. So how does this one compare to the other nine? Well, in terms of the party aspect, I think it was well, great. Yeah, and that's the party a lot of, was banging. mostly your doing. And our friends who came dressed up. Thank you, friends. You know who you are. Probably you've all seen them, but I'll try to post some of these on the Instagram after this episode goes up so you can see some of the decorations and the food that was made. So, I mean, I really didn't do anything for it that made it special. You did and and our guests did who came. But (laughs) as far as the show itself, I will say it certainly was an improvement on last year when everyone was... the, the. the auditorium was empty and there was no host. Yeah, that's and strange. And then uh, What's Your Face won the award and gave a horrible speech. Oh, McDormand. Yeah. Oh, and then, of course, they moved Best Actor to last. Oh, and yeah. then Anthony Hopkins accepted the award remotely because he wasn't even there. So, so strange. It couldn't help but go up from there. Yeah. It's definitely not the worst one I've seen, uh, but a lot of stuff just didn't go off the way it was supposed to. I didn't care for what they did with Encantos, the Encanto song yeah. or, um, you know, some of the other things I liked that they brought back montages, a few montages, mm-hmm. even if you think those montages were weird. James Bond. Yeah. So there were definitely entertaining moments on the whole. I think it's definitely due to the viral moments that the, you know, that which were not planned. Right. Mm-hmm. That kind of uh, will make this one stick in everybody's memory. <laughs> they for sure will. 
All right, so that's just our catch up on the show, but let's get into the movies because that's really the reason that we're here and also the reason that I care about the Oscars in the first place. So we're gonna go through like we did in the previous year. We're just going to go through all 10 of the movies alphabetically and we'll talk a little bit about them, uh, give our takes, and then at the end, we will each give our rankings of the, the 10 nominees. Sound good? Yep, sounds good. All right, let's, let's get up. to it. All right, our first movie is Belfast. Be careful what you wish for. Is that the minister that we mission says? Well, is your next chance? We have to do a project about the moon landing. Well, did those boys not come back from that? They did. Now we have to cut things out of the papers and explain how they got there. If they did get there, they did get to the moon. It's not what it says here. God doesn't like it. And I watched every night, too, that they were up there. And how did I never see my Collins in the mothership doing his orbit? Surely you would have seen the sheep of Columbus against the light of the moon. No, that's because mostly he was on the dark side. Exactly, it's the side that Lucifer hangs his shillelagh. No, he was on the dark side of the moon most of the time where we couldn't see him. You know, when he was doing his orbit and then maybe, you know, just before he was due to come around the corner, you had to go in for your tea. If I could come up with something smart about that, maybe I could step at the top desk. Wait till she gets back there. This is a drama and kind of childhood memoir from writer-director Kenneth Branagh. It takes place in Ireland at the time of his childhood, which I can't remember exactly when, probably late 50s, early 60s. And it follows the, um, the childhood of a little boy, Buddy, played by Jude Hill and his parents, played by Katrina Balfe and Jamie her. Dornan. She's wonderful. The best part about the movie. Okay. Because, well, you know her from Outlander, Yeah, right? Outlander. Everyone watch it if you haven't. Go watch it now. Stop listening to us and go watch it. Just kidding. Unless. One of the big surprises kind of that came out of the nomination process was that Judy Dench uh, playing Granny in this movie earned a supporting actress nomination, whereas most people thought it was going to go to Katrina Balfe. Yeah, I don't really understand that because she, the granny barely had like two words. It felt like. It was not a notable performance right. from Dench. <laughs> not not bad by any means, but just yeah. not the thing you kind of would expect to come out. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Kieran Hines plays uh, the grandfather. And so this takes place during the uh, the Troubles where there was uh, you know, violent conflict between Protestants and Catholics, uh, which was also a not just a religious conflict, but also a political conflict. And so there's this takes place in, there's bits of violence and kind of um, gangs and things going on. And also this takes, oh, this is a black and white mm-hmm. film for most of it. Uh, the intro actually is oh, color. Yeah. And also when they were watching that movie, there's color in that, remember? That's kind of cool. Yes. And that's one of the things that uh, Brandon does, which is he brings a number of other movies into the text of his film. Uh, there's several Westerns on TV. One of them is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance with John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart. And then, of course, when, when <gasps> the family bang, goes... Bang. That, that's right. That's, that, I was excited about that because we got to watch that. Well, you got to watch that for the first time with me. What, a, few, a year or two ago or something? It was back when it was in our apartment, so a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that 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 surprised me. It was a pleasant surprise, but 
Yeah, one of the flourishes that we get is that when the family goes to the cinema, the images on screen are in color, whereas their daily lives are in black and white. Mm-hmm. And in terms of the plot, that's mostly it. It's kind of about the father trying to potentially move his family out of this uh, conflict-torn area, mm-hmm. but the mother really wants to stay. And then it's also just kind of about moments in the life of this child seen, you know, in contrast to the kind of political unrest that's going on around him. Amanda, what did you think of Belfast? Um, I, it was, it was very slow. It was kind of boring. Um, I mean, I was, I liked that Katrina Belf was in it. Um, she did a good job, but I don't know. It was just like too mundane day to day for me. I think I was waiting for something exciting to happen and it never really did. I think it needed more drama in that sense. Like, I mean, I know there were, um, there were like the riots and everything and that could get exciting, but it, it just, it, I don't know. It didn't really amount to much for me, I guess. And it felt like it needed more, I think in that sense. So you think it would have helped for you if there was a stronger like through plot, like like a single conflict that needed to be resolved or that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. That would have helped me to be more on board. And I think I was waiting for that and then it never happened. So um, yeah. What did you think? Yeah. It's definitely a tapestry that tries to evoke a particular time and place, although it does it in a very consciously artificial way. Mm-hmm. Branna sets up a lot of really interesting shots, and I think that a lot of his compositions are really nice to look at. Mm-hmm. The One of the criticisms potentially could be, you know, do those shots really mean anything, or are they just self-consciously pretty? Mm-hmm. I think you could ask that about a lot of the film, I think the biggest thing for me really was it felt a lot longer than it was. That, it's and about I think a, that's why I it's about it a was 90 minute film and it just seems <laughs> to keep going. Yeah. And I think maybe that's what you're talking about in terms of the lack of propulsion. Yeah. Like the, the shots were really pretty, but I'm, I'm somebody who, when I watch a movie, I want a good story. I want something that will keep me, you know, involved in wanting more. And not just for like the pretty shots. What was the point that, or the the plot point or the conflict that worked the best for you? Was it the kid trying to get with the little girl? Was it, you know, his relationship with his grandfather? Was it, you know, the parents trying to decide to leave Ireland? Did any of those things feel like they were... Honestly, all of it was kind of boring. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) maybe when, maybe when he stole something in the store, that was kind of funny. Uh, But... Mm -hmm. Yeah, none of it really. You know what? Actually, that might be one of my favorite threads was the little neighbor girl trying to naively get him to kind of join up with these the gang rebels. Yeah, mm-hmm. and but she's you know kind of just using that. She doesn't understand the weight of what she's doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're gonna go in here and get some free candy or whatever. But really, it's a lot more dangerous than that. Or when when they, I think there was the riots or something like that, and he stole. What was it like a a family box of soap or something? Dishwash no, um, laundry detergent. 
and he wouldn't put it back. Uh huh. That was really funny. Like when his mom was like, "You're gonna put this back," and then he like kept it the entire time. Anyway, I freely admit <laughs> I don't know very much about this particular period, uh, and so maybe that, if it was something that I was more familiar with, yeah. I would be able to kind of latch onto the context more. Honestly, I was a little bored. In this, uh, I kind of felt like it's definitely a passion project for Branna, but sometimes those tend to be a little overly indulgent. I think that's maybe the case here. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit too earnest in some way. I, one of the things that, even though it's not the text of the film, did inform my opinion on it a little bit is that we watched this DVD and immediately after the credits ended, it started to play a special feature, which was an alternate ending. And I won't spoil the ending, obviously, but I will say that even though the ending, the alternate ending is much worse, the ending they went with is better, the inclination that is displayed in that ending, I think kind of illuminates the problem with the movie. And I think maybe part of it is just that Brandon is too close to it and it's a little bit too precious to him. Yeah. Uh, And that he instinctively views these things as kind of sacred memories, but doesn't necessarily translate that sacredness to the audience that we don't necessarily come out of it caring nearly as much as he does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to put it. So Belfast uh, went into early in the season was potentially a contender for best picture. I think it picked up a couple of prizes, but didn't perform all that well at BAFTA, which is where it was suspected to ultimately won only one Oscar on the night, which was original screenplay. Oh, I didn't realize I probably didn't choose that one, but yeah. Which just to editorialize was probably one of the worst winners. Uh, Well, out of the field, because you had like Licorice Pizza, for example, mm-hmm. was in that field. I would have preferred that to win. Yeah, same. But anyway, that is that is Belfast. Moving right along. Moving on. So then uh, because we are going in alphabetical order, I have to go ahead and hit this, which wouldn't be so uh, interesting if it weren't for the fact that the Oscars have already happened and everyone now knows that what eventually won Best Picture was Coda. You're the girl with the deaf family? Yeah. yeah. And you sing. Interesting. I've been coaching for Berkeley College of Music. I can help you get a scholarship. So our next picture is Coda. This was a Sundance movie that was put out on Apple TV Plus, which is how most people can see it. You can see it there now, actually. And this uh, CODA stands for a C-O-D-A, Child of Deaf Adults. And the story by uh, director-writer Sean Heater, adapting from a previous French film of of a similar plot, um, stars Emilia Jones as Ruby, who is uh, a hearing daughter with deaf parents and a deaf brother. And so she is helping them to kind of communicate with the world around them. She translates for them in sign language and helps them with their fishing operation. They own a, a boat and they, they sell fish. Uh, and she discovers 
that she really likes to sing. She's got a good voice. And so she wants to pursue music, which is obviously something that her family cannot participate in in the same way because they're not able to hear her voice. And that pretty much is the the driving conflict of the film. She wants to go to a school, like art school and, mm. uh, and sing. And she is uh, encouraged in this by her high school music teacher, um, played by uh, Eugenio Derbez. Uh, Bernardo is the guy's name. Bernardo. Uh, and then kind of the, I guess, in some ways, the, the heart and soul of the movie are her parents, played by Marley Matlin and Oscar winner now, Troy Kotz. Actually, they're both Oscar winners. Marley Matlin won an Oscar in, oh, uh, did she? for Children of the Lesser God uh, in the 80s. Oh, and okay. Um, but so they play her parents and uh, give kind of funny winning performances this is, uh, I guess. I guess we could say it. It kind of surged last minute to become the best picture favorite. It was not. Uh, it was an underdog earlier in the season. <laughs> Speaking but of dogs, people thought it was Power of the Dog. People thought it was Power of the Dog. However, this is a an audience pleaser, an uplifting yeah, story. I'm glad. Amanda, they what won. did you think of Coda? Well, I'm glad they won, but I honestly didn't expect them to because I thought, oh. After watching Coda, it's like this feels like just another movie. Like we've we've seen this movie countless times before, and I can't even think of examples because I'm bad at coming up with them. Maybe you can think <laughs> of some, but um, where, yeah, it's I don't know. It just feels too maybe it feels too easy, like this type of movie, and for it to win, just because everybody liked it. It was like feel good movie. I enjoyed it. I liked it. I think I wanted something else to win. Actually, I don't even know what I wanted to win. Actually, I probably do know. Um, it was probably Drive My Car, just because I was like, a foreign film should win. But um, yeah, <laughs> I I liked it. It was fun. So setting aside for the moment that we know that it won Best Picture, mm-hmm. that I think is definitely going to hurt this movie's reputation because... As you kind of say, I don't think it can necessarily bear the weight mm-hmm. of trying to be in the pantheon of great movies right. as minted by the Academy. Certainly not the only movie that can't bear that. But setting, setting that aside, if you go back to... Because this is one of the first ones that we watched on Apple TV. That's true. It was, wasn't it? So after, so after it finished, okay. uh, you know, how did you feel about it? Okay. I really liked it because I love, I love a movie with music and family and relationships that are maybe strained and then overcome. Yeah, so I enjoyed it. I thought it was a a good heartwarming film. Yeah, it's heartwarming. It is not particularly impressive in any particular sense. Like, mm-hmm. I enjoyed the performances. I mm-hmm. think everybody was at least good in it. Uh, but... As far as the direction, as far as the writing, as far as the cinematography, none of that stood out as being exceptional. Right. And I think it's I think it's telling that it only got uh, three nominations, uh, whereas something like Dune or Power of the Dog got a whole bunch more for all the craft that was on display. I really came down right in the middle on this one. I feel like it's kind of average. Mm-hmm. And I understand the people that give it five stars because it really spoke to them and it gave them an, you know, an emotional experience or maybe it you know, uh, illumined uh, this part of society that we don't always get to peek into. 
I also understand the people that gave it one star because <laughs> I can see the argument that it's just sentimental or, you know, and it looks like a, a Netflix movie that mm-hmm. just, you know, kind of just dropped. I mean, I enjoyed, like, do you remember Sound of Metal? What was that last year? Yeah, it's hard not to compare it to yeah, Sound of Metal. exactly. And I, I thought that that was a lot better in a sense that, oh, these are things that, okay, that we don't really know a lot about because he had an addiction and everything. And I just, I just, I thought all their choices in that movie, it was great compared to this one. Like I said, it feels like you said average. It just feels like, Oh, I expected all of that to happen. Like I knew exactly what was going to happen the whole time. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) And that's why it's baffling to me that one of the three awards that it picked up and it did win everything it was nominated for was adapted screenplay because I do not think the screenplay is a strength of this movie. Mm -hmm. So having it win over some of the other ones there just seems wrong to me. I almost think that's a worse win than Best Picture. Uh, I'm fine with the supporting actor win for Troy Kotzer as as a good performance. Yeah, I'm glad he won that. He deserved it. Anything else you want to say about Coda? No, I think we said it all. (laughs) All right, moving right along. Our next nominee was Don't Look Up. I heard there's an asteroid or a comet or something that... You don't like the looks of. <sighs> Tell me about it. You got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? Go. <clears throat> uh, a comet between 5 to 10 kilometers across that we estimate came from the Oort cloud. And using Gauss's method of orbital determination and the average astrometric uncertainty of 0.04... Whoa, 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 whoa. The hell is so what? bored. Just tell us what it is. Seriously, stop. What Dr. Mindy is trying to say is that there's a comet headed directly towards Earth. And then what happens? Like a tidal wave? It will be far more catastrophic. There will there will be mile-high tsunamis. So how certain is this? There's 100% certainty of impact. Please, don't say 100%. Can we just call it a potentially significant event? But it isn't potentially going to happen. 99.78% to be exact. Oh, great. Okay, so it's not 100%. The... Adam McKay Netflix movie about climate change and or a little bit about COVID, mostly about climate change. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam McKay has been nominated many times. He uh, nearly won Best Picture for uh, The Big Short and was nominated again for Vice. And here he's coming back with another quote-unquote biting satire, uh, a movie about... Scientists played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence who discover that the Earth is about to be impacted by a comet that will destroy all civilization. They And it's about their struggle basically to get anyone to listen to and believe them, including the president of the United States played by Meryl Streep and her son and advisor played by Jonah Hill and uh, a pair of talk show hosts, Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry. There are also some other threads we pick up uh, Timothy Chalamet is in here playing like Tim kind Tim. of a, I don't know, laconic skateboard evangelical yeah. kid. And there's a bunch of things going on in this movie. Mark so Rylance plays a guy who's kind of like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or something like that, mm-hmm. who's trying to get everyone to the stars. And it's really weird, loud. And there's a lot of shouting. It got weird. Yeah. What do you think of Don't Look Up? It was weird. Uh, I I don't even know how to react to it. It was it was just like chaos the whole time. 
I, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word for it. And I don't know if tolerated. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't hate it. I liked it more than other movies. But um, I was just like, what is happening this whole time? And I, I think I enjoyed the humor in it. Um, <laughs> the, car, the part about, um, what was it? Um, the candy bar. Or the candy bars that they had to pay for. Yeah, the snacks in the in the White House. Yeah, so I mean that was funny, but then I I didn't like the part where like Leonardo was cheating on his wife. I was just like, eh, was that necessary? But well, I kind of forgot about that whole thread. It just it felt like it took up a lot of time, and the, how they made him like a oh he's hot or like you know this scientist that knows all the things, and I was just like. Yeah, Not they did do board. a whole lot with that, with him being like the, I don't know, sexy scientist or yeah, something. Yeah, I feel like that was the biggest part about it. And I just, I don't know, I felt like it could have gone a different direction. Yeah, interesting. There are definitely, a, well, there's so many plot threads in it. And so, I mean, look, McKay's done a movie about the housing crisis. He's done a movie about Dick Cheney. Uh, he's done this movie and his trademark with these kinds of like issue movies is again, exemplified in the big short is you do a lot of edits, you know, it's really modern. It's really fast. There's a lot of cutaways and, you know, different kinds of like, it's basically trying to, you know, grab the audience and shake them. And that's, that's the, mm -hmm. the vibe you get from the movie. I think that approach is having diminishing returns, like it doesn't work nearly as well here as it worked in the big short. It's also not nearly as kind of smooth and clever. Mm -hmm. Remind me what the big short was. Was the, that the big short was about the, um, about the, the housing crisis in 2008 and about all the people who kind of knew about it and cashed oh, in on it. I haven't seen that. I think I was thinking, what is it? The big sick. Oh yeah. Different movie, <laughs> which I love that one, but okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Not that same one. What do you, you think up, about it? You brought up the thing about the snacks. Oh, Jennifer yes. <laughs> Lawrence keeps talking about, I can't believe he makes it. He's like, the snacks are free. I, that was funny. That was funny. That was the only funny joke. That was really the, the only funny. And that's the damning part. thing. If you're going to make a comedy and you're going to make a two and a half hour. Oh, was it a comedy? <laughs> Wait, is that what the genre was? I think that's, that's, see, there it is. There it is right there. I don't even need to say anything else. <laughs> Did not it, feel Was like it a comedy? comedy. I think it was supposed to be. Okay. Well, if there's a trailer, they would probably just put that one scene in it. We kind of have to, with this, you kind of have to reckon with, you know, the, the question, and we all, we always kind of are talking about this in terms of art, is how do you make art that is intended to persuade people? How do you make art that is also propaganda, if you want to use that word? Not like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I did like that they were from Michigan State because, like, all my uncles went to Michigan State. So I was like, yeah, Michigan State. That was cool. Yeah, I, I saw that shirt. And I was like, oh, that's that's your that's your neck of the woods. Yeah, my fam. I kind of liked what Leo was doing in this. I kind of liked his performance as the little bit of an uh, a little bit more of a nebbish mm -hmm. kind of character. Plays against his persona a little bit i kind of like mark rylance whatever he's doing in this it's it's a little weird but i, I kind of dug it 
And I, I enjoyed Timothy Chalamet, actually. I, I, I liked, think he was a highlight. He was, but then he came later in the film, so. He kind of, yeah, he came in like at, at the, the end. end there. And we didn't really get to see a whole lot. I mean, yes, Jennifer Lawrence, but her character, like, they, they made people, like, hate her character. Or, like, the, the people in the film. Right. It's just very fiery, very angry. And I think it's interesting, the critical response that this has had, which has been mixed to negative. And I think that's interesting precisely because I think most of the people, or at least a lot of the people who are writing about this film, agree with its message. And so if the people who are saying, you know what, I actually think climate change is a really urgent issue that we all need to start doing something about right now, those people aren't moved by this movie. And if that's the case, then how, is it, how are you expecting to reach the people who don't feel that way? So maybe, maybe this isn't so much intended to persuade an audience that they need to take action on climate change as it is to a kind of a cathartic release for its creators who just need it, like are using this movie as, an, as a kind of a screaming into a pillow. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> the way that they played it, it's like, well, yeah, everybody, everybody on earth is going to probably respond in the way that they... They should in that movie. Like people, people don't really care, or I don't know. Like the, it, everybody was just so like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like not reactive, Un- unbothered. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it is more of like, a, okay, well, we're just frustrated, so this is what we're gonna do. And then people watching is like, oh, <laughs> that's kind of like how I feel about these things. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the why the humor doesn't work as much. I think this the satire is not buried deep enough. I think when you're just saying, "Oh, this is how like if, you know, if 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 Meryl Streep is supposed to be Trump essentially, it's like, right. "Oh, this is how Trump would react in this situation." Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but you you've got to take that and you've got to somehow uh do that in a way that's clever in a way that's amusing mm-hmm. if you want it to succeed on that dramatic level. I don't think this quite gets there. It maybe gets there at moments. Yeah. This uh, did not win anything on the night. Which, Rightly so. Yeah, I'm glad because it, it did sorry, win. Sorry. It did win original screenplay at the WGA Awards previous to this. And so I thought it maybe was a little bit of a challenger. But uh, I got to say, um, I don't think it would have been necessarily a deserving winner. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Our next... Best Picture nominee, and the only one in the bunch that is an international film, is Drive My Car from Japan. This is a three-hour movie by uh, director Hamaguchi. I don't know how to pronounce the... I'm not that great with with Japanese pronunciations. Um, Hamaguchi is the last name. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on a short story, ironically enough. Um, Oh, I did not realize that. Yeah. Based on a short story, they made it into a long story. That's right. Short story, long movie. This is the story of a an actor and a director, 
a theater director and actor who, um, it's almost, it's really hard to talk about this actually without giving away any key plot points. And part of me feels that I'm not beholden to keep secret anything that the trailer gives away. But I will say, I think this is a good experience for anybody who, if we can, if we can turn anybody on to this movie mm-hmm. and they can watch it without watching the trailer and without knowing the some of the things that happened in the first half, mm-hmm. I think that would be a good experience for them. Yeah, so maybe so I'd actually say, I'm not going to give it away. Yeah. I'm going to say in very uh, broad terms, it's about a an actor and, and director who is trying to put on a, a performance of Uncle Vanya, the Chekhov play, mm-hmm. and he's trying to do it in a unique way that blends different languages among the actors. And he, uh, his process is to drive back and forth in this little red sob that he has. And he listens to the lines recorded on a cassette tape. And he, that's how he learns his lines and how he gets the whole play into his head. Um, this is something that's important to him. Well, when he gets to this, um, uh, I, I guess he has to go to like a, I don't know if it's a conservatory or a school or something that he's working with. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they won't let him drive his car because of a problem with his eye. He's got a vision issue. But didn't they make it, didn't they say we don't let any of the actors drive because of an accident that happened? Was that all a lie? Well, I think they do say that at very least there's a, there's one reason why that they could say particularly for him that they didn't want him to drive. Yeah. For whatever reason, they, whether it's insurance reasons, um, they, what they're saying is like it's for, you know, for mm-hmm. insurance. They set him up with a driver, it's a young woman, and they say, she's going to drive, she's going to drive you back and forth. So he, of course, is initially resistant to her, but the, um, the movie is primarily about the relationship between him and his driver, which unfortunately I would say makes it sound kind of like one of the things the Academy loves, like a, like a green book or a oh, driving, yeah. driving Miss mm-hmm. Daisy. Suffice to say, it is not that movie. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of other relationships that are happening in the mm-hmm. film as well. Gosh, it's going to be so hard to talk about this, not give things away. That are developing right throughout. Yeah. So um, yeah, this is on HBO Max, mm-hmm. and which is where we watched it. And we did watch all of that in one sitting, all the three hours. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know. It was like a, the middle of the day. Didn't we watch it in the middle of the day? day. Okay. So a relatively slow moving Japanese drama Amanda, what did you think of Drive My Car? I loved it. I thought it was wonderful. And I know that initially, like when we got married, I wasn't a huge fan of movies with subtitles or foreign films just because I was like, oh, I have to work hard at reading (laughs) and watching because I like to actually watch the movies and like see their faces and not just be reading, you know, down below. But I think like, ever since like after watching Parasite, like I really liked Parasite. So, and we did watch the trailer for this beforehand. And I think you thought that maybe I wouldn't like it because it was long or maybe because it was a foreign film. Didn't you think that at first? I I wasn't sure if, and honestly, I wasn't sure if I was going to find it gripping either, Mm -hmm. but I'm usually the kind to take a chance on those things. Right. And so I didn't know if it would turn you off. Well, I remember when we watched it to get like the trailer, I was like, oh, yeah, I would watch this. This looks like this could cook up real good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I really liked it because just the drama in it and there's just a lot about relationships and you know that I'm a a people person and just love watching 
character development and relationships and, um, cause that's just like what we experience in everyday life. And you get a window into what these characters are thinking or feeling. And yeah, so I really enjoyed it, even though it was really long. So I, um, encourage you listeners to give it a chance. You, you might not like it, but I don't know. I just, I thought that there were some good, just some good things in it. Like you, I don't know, good takeaways. And it, it was, it touched my heart. It was cute. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that a film like this absolutely has to accomplish is you've, you're going to take three hours. You've got, that has to be paced really well. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is, I think just about, uh, just about every time that I thought, okay, they're going to start doing too much of this. It's going to get repetitive. It's going mm-hmm. to get dull. Right when I got to that point, they moved on to something else. Yeah. And they either truncated the next part or they introduced a new uh, dramatic wrinkle, mm-hmm. a new revelation from a character right. that then changed how that character reacts to them. Mm-hmm. So there was a, it was, it's a little more, you know, obviously not, it's not as, um, you know, paced kind of frantically like a TV show mm-hmm. would be. But I think if you can get on its level and kind of just like accept what it's doing, it, cause even though it, okay. So like I said, it's long, it's not necessarily what I would call like slow cinema. Like it's yeah, not well, a, I, I feel like the build between um, the main character, the guy driving the sob and his driver, it, it was a really good build. Didn't you think like it, it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't too slow and it's like, and it was exactly what I wanted because, you know, and like I said, I won't give things away, but for fear of it turning into something that I was like, oh, is this going to be this thing? But it didn't. And if you watch it, you'll see. But yeah, it was it was, it was nice. I also think that Hamaguchi is doing some really smart and nuanced work with his camera. There's some things that you might not necessarily notice in it, but even though it's not a, um, it's not uh, an audacious-looking film, uh, that it, it kind of looks, you know, I mean, if you, you've got characters moving through frame and that kind of stuff, you've got the the nice visual of the car, the, the nice red car, you know, sticking out in those long shots. But um, there's a dinner scene between, I think maybe four different, four or five different characters, mm-hmm. and even that, which you know, dialogue scenes can be super kind of prosaic, you know, you shoot over one character's shoulder, you shoot over the other character's shoulder. Uh, and they, he picks just the right time to, you're looking at one character who's speaking, you cut away from her to a reaction of somebody else. When he cuts back to her, we're now looking from a different character's perspective, mm-hmm. which is just one chair over on the, on the table. It's not a big change, but you suddenly see that, oh, now this is affecting this other character. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking about the person who's speaking from another character's point of view. So that, that kind of stuff, um, again, is, is the, is the kind of thing that you don't necessarily have to do as a director to put over a story, but he's doing it because it's important and it's meaningful to him. Mm-hmm. And those kind of choices add up over the course of a film like this. So where you really feel, um, that something has been created, that time has been taken to really develop those relationships to the point when you get to the end, those things pay off. Yeah. I also feel like in that scene, it felt really warm like the lighting and everything mm-hmm. and that, I don't know. And then um, <laughs> maybe I'm just thinking about this because we've been watching the show AP bio. You're, you've been talking about it being like, everything's teal, but like it really went hard on the teal. Yeah. Uh, but with this one, like everything seems, I think I remember it being kind of like gray or blue 
I mean, uh, and then like with the red car, I don't know. It is, there are some good choices. Yeah. I think it's really well done. Even that opening scene, uh, which is framed against the window and it's dusk and you can barely see the character in the front who's speaking. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just, I, it's, yeah, it's, it's delicately done, uh, and really well throughout. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Drive My Car went home with one Oscar on the night with uh, a well-deserved Best International Yay, Film win. good for them. Mm. I admit I didn't see all the other films in that category, but this is a good, this is a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. All right, let's move on to probably, I think based on some of the conversations that we had prior to the ceremony, the movie that the most people had actually heard of, oh, and yes. that is Dune. For four weeks, I lived with the Fremen. Hidden in the desert in a community called the Siege. Stilgar, the leader of that Siege, has come with me to meet you, sire. The Siege? How was it hidden? It's underground. Arrakis is filled with caverns. How big was the place? I'd say 10,000 people. And there are hundreds of Sieges. Millions of Fremen. You were right? The Harkonnen estimate was 50,000 on the whole planet. The Fremen watched me search for them for days. I never saw them. Finally, they sent a warrior out to kill me. And I gotta tell you, I've never come so close to dying. There's no finer fighter in the Imperium. They fight like demons. Desert power. Also, I mean, probably the biggest, both literally and figuratively, film of 2021. The had the most stars in it. Uh, and oh, yeah, probably that most people were looking forward to. So this is the part one of the story, a retelling of the Herbert, or excuse me, Frank Herbert novel that was made into a film in the 80s by David Lynch. Uh, this one is directed by Denis Villeneuve in the same mode that he was in when he did Blade Runner 2049. It stars Timothy Chalamet as Paul Atreides, and boy, Amanda, I really wanted you to tell the plot of this one. I can do that. Because I would be curious to see what you took away from it. You you want me to try it? I would love that. All right. So this is a, Amanda explains the plot. <laughs> 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 um, uh, let me see if I can knock this one out. So Dune is a movie about sand. That's it. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, You're not but, wrong. Yeah, I'm not wrong. Uh, no, but... This movie, I don't even know where it takes place because it's in like a dreamland place that's like Star Wars. And um, they, do you know where it is? Arrakis. Arrakis. Most of it takes place on the planet Arrakis. Arrakis. So there's this family who, I guess they're like a royal family or something like that. I don't know. They have a lot of pull and something. Anyway, so um, the dad is going to this place where there's a lot of sand and they're living in this place where there's not sand and there's green stuff. I mean, trees and water. And so they're like... Solid so far. Yeah, thank you. And um, so they go to this place where it there's sand. <laughs> not doing a great job. I said I could do this. Anyway, so the mom is like a little powerful lady. She has like powers. We don't know. And so like possibly the son has this and... Yeah, this is this is horrible, and um, so they're going to this. She's trying. She's trying to teach him how to use "quote unquote" the voice, right? The voice. Because she belongs to a a coven of witches or some such thing. I'm sorry, I'm failing this. I mean, it explains the plot. So I'm I'm trying to remember. Listen, I gave it to you because I didn't want to try to explain it. What's the thing that they harvest in the sand? Spice. Spice. So, 
So they're going over here and um, because somebody told them to for some reason. And uh, so they are going to try to help these people get their spices. And then, but it was a failed effort. Oh, wait, am I giving stuff away? No. Anyway, basically, it was a really long movie and not a whole lot happened. And it's just a foundation for the next one. And Zendaya was in it. Briefly, briefly. Well, a better question is who's not in this movie because Oscar Isaac is in it. Leonardo got, DiCaprio wasn't in it. He was not in it. That's correct. <laughs> You've got a lot of, you know, a big cast, uh, a big canvas with this film. Uh, t- to expand on that just a little bit. And oh, wait, I didn't finish. I, I should have said more about Tim Tim trying to come into his own. And that's basically what the whole movie is about. People thought that he was like the savior or something like that for this place. Man, I really left out the main part. And so, yeah, so he's he's just like becoming more of who he was, I guess, called to be. <laughs> Definitely a Messiah narrative mm-hmm. with Paul. Tim Tim. Tim Tim. Should I share with everyone what... Uh, what another one of Prim's names is? What Our is cat, it? Our um, cat, Primothy Mialame. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, that was just a fun side note. Okay. So clearly, neither of us are aficionados of the material. I have not read the book. I have not seen the '84 film. So everything. Is any better? To hear it told, no. Okay. I think I heard about 40% of the dialogue in this movie mm-hmm. because it was constantly being shouted down by Hans Zimmer's score and the swirling of sands and the Spices. loading of ships and such things, mm-hmm. which didn't help trying to... I probably should have used the subtitles. We should have done subtitles. Because then we would have known when we saw words like Arrakis and Harkonnen mm-hmm. that what those things were. And then when they came up again, we'd recognize them. So it was a little bit, it was a little bit obtuse, I think, to follow. But man, did they win a lot. They really cleaned up on the below the line tech mm-hmm. awards. Yeah. Winning six, the biggest of the, the most of any film of the night, winning sound, visual effects, score, production design. And then more impressively, I think, both cinematography and editing. I came out of Dune thinking about two things. The first was the absolutely immense scale of its images. The second was the enormity of its boredom. (laughs) I concur. This movie was in every way an absolutely just enormous production. The uh, Villeneuve is really good at demonstrating scale on screen and all of the, all of the sets where you've got just these like tiny people walking across, you know, just barely points in the sand uh, are really effective. Uh, The visual effects very much deserve their win. The sandworm was cool. Sandworm was great. The, the copters, like they look, they look real. They look lived in. Mm -hmm. They don't, you know, it doesn't say, oh, this is CG. Like, it looks like everything kind of like feels mechanical and, and tactile. So all of that stuff was really great. Do you want to know what my favorite part was about Dune? Yes. 
the fact that Annie and Eric made a dessert that was the sandworm <laughs> and brought it to our Oscar party. I'll put that on the Insta post as well. Yeah, that was that was great. That was creative. <laughs> Sorry, Dean, but I can't help but think. You know, the, I think the the most memed scene out of this is probably the one where he puts his hand in the box. Oh, I haven't even seen that. You haven't seen that? There was there oh. was some memes flying was around it about a good that. Meme? I don't know. Okay. I feel like this kind of lost its way as it went. There's a certain point after the extraction scene where. Paul and Lady Jessica are kind of, I don't know, they're kind of taking like an odyssey out into the desert to go find the Fremen. And at that point, I feel like the movie slows down and never quite regains its momentum. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, because it is one half of the story, it's kind of a non-ending, which doesn't do anything for, to kind of like, you know, put a a punctuation on the experience. Mm -hmm. I will say that, I think that I will like the second one more. Maybe that's just because I love Zendaya. And I mean, (laughs) the only part she was really in was all the dreams that he had about her. And then right at the end. So it's like, yeah, she's here. And then nope. Yeah. And I really, I enjoyed Javier Bardem as the leader of the Fremen who came in and, you know, is like spitting on the ground and everything and that kind of stuff they have with him. So there's a lot of individual things I like about this. To me, on the whole, it left me pretty cold. Mm-hmm. But I will say, who are we talking about uh, this with? With uh, Jason Momoa. I thought he did a good job with his character. I thought I wasn't going to be able to take him seriously because I was like, here's Aquaman coming in here. Oh, I did not take him seriously. But I, I thought that he did better than I thought. Like, it was he was still kind of like corny and stuff, but I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fine. Like, and he also has the best character name of any character <laughs> well, in, that we're going to talk about today, Duncan Idaho. Duncan Idaho. So that's a good name. That is so strange that that was just that name. Was, anyway, yeah. I feel like I don't know if I've entirely acquitted myself for the sci-fi fans who will no doubt take issue with my take on this. I do wonder if maybe we'd started it like an hour earlier, if I would have felt differently about it if yeah. I kind of got started getting tired or if that was because the movie kind of did was losing steam in that last third. Maybe we should have watched it at the same like time of day that we watched Drive My Car and we would have liked it more. Maybe. Maybe. It remains to be seen, although I have to say I'm not in a hurry to rewatch it. No, I don't really think I will. Let's just watch the second one. Okay. Sounds good. Look at Primothy Mialame down here. <laughs> All right, let's keep this let's keep this car driving. Our next movie is King Richard. What's going on? Everybody okay? They got a call. Said there was trouble in the house and that we were being rough with the girls and they needed to look. A call from who? Not at liberty to say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You uh, you all need to look around. Go ahead, you can check on in the cupboards. Maybe you can go check under the beds, make sure it's no monsters. It's a little wet for practice, don't you think? Don't the girls have schoolwork to do? They do their homework. Tundi's first in her class. Lynn and Isha are too. That's right. Girls, spell civilization. C-I-V-I-L-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N. Okay, Mr. Williams, Wait, this no, is on, really hold, not necessary. Hold on. You want to check on the kids? Let's check on the kids. 
We got future doctors and lawyers, plus a couple tennis stars in this house. This uh, is the story of Venus and Serena Williams and their father, Richard Williams, as played by William Smith. William. And to make a long story short, it's basically about their childhood and how he is their coach and how he has a plan for them to be great. And so he pushes them to be great. And as that happens, they become good tennis players and they take on other coaches, Mm -hmm. one of whom is played by John Bernthal. And that's... You covered it. That's pretty much the the synopsis. Mm -hmm. And it's just a lot of episodes from from their life. Uh, And of course, their mother also, um, Anjanou Ellis, plays uh, the mom. So... Yeah, that's in a nutshell. Amanda, what do you think of King Richard? I really liked it, but I'm a sucker for movies like this where they come from, you know, troubled times and then they they overcome it. Um, And I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a sports person, but like I do love a good, um, like Remember the Titans kind of movie. But I like that this is tennis. I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this with, tennis unless I'm just forgetting nope I don't I can't think of any movies with tennis um and I didn't really know a whole lot about it even though you know we had several lessons growing up not very good at tennis um but I also like that you know a little bit about it you know you know you have to keep your stance open oh yeah (laughs) gotta open your stance I like that it was focusing on them as children because I feel like a lot of times when it comes to athletes in these kinds of movies, they show them like starting out and then like, oh, there's like a hard road of like them getting involved with like drugs or whatever and like all of that. But I, I like that it was a success story um, about a family and it, it showed their family and not just like the Williams, the two like Williams sisters, Serena and Venus, but the other sisters too. Cause I was like, oh, I didn't realize they had other sisters, but a bigger family. Yeah, a huge family. And I just really admired how hard the parents worked to help their children succeed. And yeah, it, it was it was funny. Um, <laughs> Will Smith did a good job, even though he made a fool of himself at the Oscars. <laughs> but we'll let that slide um, while we're talking about this. And yeah, I I really enjoyed it. What do you think? They really make the point. In fact to go back to what you were saying about it not being a story of drugs and all of that. that Coming out of Compton too, yeah. Yeah, that he's very intent on that not being the case. Mm-hmm. And that he, but part of the reason he wants to forestall Venus's, you know, going into these pro matches and going on tour or whatever, because mm-hmm. he wants to make sure that that doesn't happen to her. Right, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting one because this is the kind of movie that gets nominated a lot and it's the kind of performance that gets nominated a lot where someone, a well-known actor, is playing a known person and kind of doing an impression, taking on their mannerisms and you know vocal tics and that sort of thing. And as you mentioned, the sports biopic is not something that we're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. It has... It, so in in that way, it's the most like Coda in that it has, it, it it treads a very familiar path, and but it does so I think in a mostly successful way. 
Mm-hmm. I actually kind of feel, maybe I feel about this more the way that people felt about Coda because I kept hearing people say, well, you've seen this before, but it's a really good example of this thing you've seen before. I think Coda is a middling example of the thing I've seen before. Yes. I think this is actually a pretty strong example of that thing. Yeah, I I'm agree. not going to say this is necessarily great in my view, but I think it's good. It mm-hmm. held my attention. It, it's very well paced. That Kind of like what we said about the Belfast thing. This is the opposite. The two and a half hours feel pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you like all the characters, you're kind of invested in them. And I had some laugh out loud moments too, I remember in this movie. Yeah. So in those things that that's where, you know, the, the script works. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't necessarily have a ton to say about this. I, yeah. I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I think in my mind, this was probably one of the bottom movies on the list. I was like, oh, this is just one of those Oscar movies that I have to suffer through. <laughs> it was a lot better than that. Yeah, I didn't even really know too much about it. Like when you said, oh, we need to watch King Richard, I was thinking, oh, is this like a movie about like medieval times or something like that? Like not medieval, but like, you know. Oh, right. Is it like King Arthur sort of thing? And I was like, am I going to like this? And then when you told me what it was about, I was like, oh, I'm on board. Yeah, I appreciated that. I, I really liked the some of the supporting performances as well. Uh, John Bernthal and um, Tony Goldwyn shows up as their first coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, some entertaining bits with you know how this very larger than life character kind of clashes with all these figures and feels like he knows better than them even though they're the experts mm-hmm. and so that leads to obviously a lot of kind of amusing conflict. This movie won one Oscar on the <laughs> we night. We know what it was <laughs> for Mr. Smith, who finally received his. Best Actor Award after a long career. And the speech that he gave will live in infamy. Mm -hmm. So strange. All right, moving right along. We've got just a couple of these left. Okay, we got four of them left. Let's crank these out. All right. So the next one is Licorice Pizza by Paul Thomas Anderson. Frequent nominee, he, his last nomination was for Phantom Thread a few years ago. What are your plans? I don't know. What's your future look like? I don't know. How do you like working at Tiny Toes? I hate working at Tiny Toes. You should start your own business. (laughs) What business should I be in? I don't know, what do you like? I don't know. You're an actress. You should be an actress. (laughs) So how'd you become such a hotshot actor? I'm a showman. It's my calling. I don't know how to do anything else. It's what I'm meant to do. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've been a song and dance man. Come on. Ever since you were a kid, song and dance man. Where are your parents? My mom works for me. Oh, of course she does. Yes, she does in my public relations company. In your public relations company? Because you have that. Yes. And you're an actor. Yes. And you're a secret agent too. (laughs) Well, no, I'm not a secret agent. That's funny. This is a coming-of-age story set in the San Fernando Valley in the early 1970s. It's focused around uh, Elena. Did I say Alana? It's Alana, right? Alana and Gary. And Alana is a 20-something girl played by Alana Heim of the rock band Heim. And Cooper Hoffman is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm -hmm playing the, I think it's like 15 or 16-year-old 
high school kid, Gary, who is nevertheless uh, an actor and has been in some movies. Mm -hmm. And so these two strike up a friendship kind of slash romance that, and it takes them through a lot of different episodes in their lives as he, Gary is kind of an entrepreneur and he's always got some sort of scheme that he's cooking up. And Alana is kind of restless and drifting and doesn't really have a direction in life. And so she's constantly looking for someone who can provide that for her. She tries to find that in some other people like um, Sean Penn's Jack Holden, who plays a kind of an, an aging Hollywood vet. And eventually um, Benny Safdie's Joel Walks, who is a politician, local politician, who she feels like is going to do some good in the area. This is a shaggy story. It's loose. It's meandering, but it's frequently very funny and it's... Um, it's fun. It's well-observed. It's a good hangout movie. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I liked it. I thought there's a lot going on, but not in not in the don't look up kind of way. Uh, it was... And also it was a story of you know, just like going through their life, but then not in a Belfast kind of way. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say this is better than this. Um, but, and like the title is really intriguing. It's like, what, where is that? And that doesn't have anything to do with the movie. Uh, but I, I liked the weird relationship between Alana and Gary. Um, and <laughs> just all of his different little business ventures. It was <laughs> It was just a, it was a ride and it was and also with Bradley Cooper. Um, that scene was very, what a great supporting performance. <laughs> it was very weird, but I don't know. It just kind of like fit, fit the tone of the movie. Uh, but yeah, I liked it. What about you? Yeah, I really liked it. And that, that scene with Cooper is the highlight, I think for me, <laughs> well, and everything that, yeah. everything that happens with that up into and including the, the truck the whole situation, which again, I won't spoil, but it's a great scene. There's so many famous people in this movie, Mm -hmm. more so than even, I've mentioned Maya Rudolph's in it for a minute, Uh, just just, just for a minute. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think my, my, my favorite cameo appearance of any movie that I saw last year is that John C. Riley is in this movie for like one second playing Herman Munster. If you, you blink and you'll miss it. It's mm-hmm. when they're at this like um, the, I think it's like a, a conference or a, a convention and it's like the camera pans by and he's there and it, it's just, it's oh, just yeah. full of little mm-hmm. details and it's so lovingly created. Uh, I think it's maybe not, the strongest work from this director who has quite a lot of major movies, but it's, it's a kind of a palate cleanser. I also like that. Wait, wait, what, uh, what like era was it? Early seventies. Okay. I also liked that it was in the seventies. Like the clothing was. The soundtrack was great. A lot of good choices mm-hmm. for the music. Uh, it's well shot. It's got fun characters. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he just likes to write and like see where a character is going to go in a, in a situation that kind of just seems like what's happening. It's like put these characters in a place mm-hmm. and give them a scenario and see what they'll do. And they stay true to themselves in ways that are sometimes funny, sometimes kind of sad or pitiable. Um, but it's, you know, it's ultimately, I think just uh, kind of a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately, licorice pizza did not take home any, Oscars, I think the one that people thought it might win was original screenplay. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed they didn't get anything, but... 
lost to Belfast there. Yeah. But honestly, this was to be fair, it's this is not the kind of movie the Academy typically likes. Mm-hmm. It's I in some ways it's probably just an honor to get nominated. Speaking of things the Academy likes, the uh they like Guillermo del Toro, who won Best Picture several years ago for directing The Shape of Water. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. This year's nominee for him was Nightmare Alley. How do you ever get a guy to geek? Oh, I ain't gonna crap you up. It ain't easy. You gotta pick up a broken drunk, a real alky, a two-bottle-a-day fool, see? Pick him up from where? Nightmare Alley's, train tracks, flap houses, you name it. A lot of folks came back from the war addicted to the poppy, to booze. Now, opium really sinks its claws, but you reel them in with booze. You tell them, I got a little job for you. It's a temporary job. Make sure you emphasize that. Just temporary until we get ourselves another gig. You spike it with that opium tincture. One drop per bottle. That's all. But oh, oh, now this is what he thinks is happening. A remake of a 1947 film with the same name and based on a novel. This is a kind of film noirish movie about a carny played by Bradley Cooper wanders into a carnival and is taken in by Willem Dafoe. He meets a bunch of other people in the carnival, including Tony Collette and Rooney Mara. And he spends some time there learning some things, learns that he has a talent for manipulating people, for being a con man. And he then later decides to take that talent on the road into his own show and begin to maybe play for some higher stakes. This is a really good looking movie. It was praised for its production design and its direction. Del Toro has a classical kind of style that I think the Academy really responds to. He just looks handsome. The camera Mm -hmm. moves in really fluid ways. You've got a great cast. Kate Blanchett is always great to see her. Um, Jenkins, Richard Jenkins, who works with Del Toro frequently, uh, shows up here in a, a smaller role. What did you think of this film? Oh, sorry. Uh, you can see this on Hulu and HBO Max, I think, right now. Um, and it is quite long, again, as we've talked about, about two and a half hours mm-hmm. for this one. Uh, Amanda, what did you think of Nightmare Alley? Uh, it was good. It was, it was kind of dark and a little depressing, but... I thought that it had some good like twists and turns and it kept me um, interested in it. I think yeah. mostly the whole time. Um, but I, I think how it started out, I was like, oh gosh, what is this going to be? Because it was like him like with a body. I don't know. I was just like, this is weird. Um, do you remember that? The floorboards or something? About the geek? Oh, you're right. The very first scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I was like, what is this going to be? And I think watching the trailer, I was like, is this going to be scary? Like, I don't want to watch a scary movie. But it wasn't scary. It was just dark. Um, and, but I, <clears throat> I thought it was good. And I thought that the people, like, I thought Bradley Cooper did a good job with his crazy role. What do you think about it? I enjoyed it. 
This is one of the only movies on this list that could probably be described as a thriller, mm-hmm. which is a one of you know a genre that I tend to respond to more than some others. I appreciated all the performances, even if some of them go a little over the top. But I think that's part of the that's part of the charm. Like Kate Blanchett's going full on like forties femme fatale, and you know I, I mean nobody in Hollywood does that better than she does. Like, it, I mean I I liked that part, but I, I think I was like, man, there's so much going on with like the carnies, and then later on with her, and it was just like a it was just like a tornado of things happening to this man. I'm curious, I would be very curious to go back and watch the 40s version of this. Oh, because there's another version? Okay. Because I think there's a lot of things in here that nod towards that time period, mm-hmm. up to and including the um, the office layout of the Kate Blanchett's doctor character has this, or psychiatrist character, has this office that's rigged for sound, and there's microphones everywhere, and she can record things. Very similar to a movie that we watched recently yeah. called Sudden Fear from 1952. That's right. I was thinking that. Okay. Yep. I I can't help but think that the there's an hour and 50 minute version of this that's uh, a better movie. Yeah. I was going to say, I think if it was shorter, I would have enjoyed it more. I think there might be parts that they could take out that weren't as important, but I don't know, maybe like the stuff with his dad, like maybe that was important. I don't know. I think the weak link here is Rooney Mara as Molly Cahill. Not necessarily mm-hmm. because she doesn't give a good performance. I, th- I think she's a, a good actor. They just, I don't think they really do that much with that character. Yeah. And because that was the like love interest or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. That didn't feel like it would have been a little stronger if she was better developed. Mm-hmm. But I did like, the you know there's a lot of scenes where you're like okay is he going to get caught in a lie mm-hmm. is he going to be exposed you know for a fraud or you know how does he kind of find these psychological things in people i think people are inherently interested in the idea of con men i think that doesn't probably need to be said but mm-hmm. um to think about what are the what are the techniques that they use what are you know looking behind the curtain at the magic trick to see how the mus- magician does it i think those those are interesting things and i think it you know it goes to an ending that's maybe a little bit too neat. Yeah, but it was an interesting tie into yeah. certain things without giving it away. So I think this is one that is it's fun to look at. Mm-hmm. And it's I think scene by scene, it's fun to watch these actors give their individual performances. Mm-hmm. The sum might be a little bit less than the parts, but uh, I did enjoy it overall. Mm-hmm. This did not win anything and was probably not expected to. I was kind of hoping it might pull off production design, mm-hmm. but... Uh, yeah, I think most people thought in the year of 10, this was probably number 10, just kind of squeak in under the wire. Yeah. All right, two more to go. Woof. Our next nominee, the presumptive front runner, The Power of the Dog. Woof, woof. Open up the gate, let him out. You sure he's not ready? Go on, let him out. It's just a man, Peter. Only another man. <laughs> man was made by patience and the odds against him for what kind of man would i be if i did not help my mother if i did not save her
lonesome place out here, Pete. Unless you get in the swing of things. This is one of the first ones that we watched, mm-hmm. I think, when we were trying to look at the movies that might get... I think I don't even think it was nominated yet. I think it was just... There was buzz around it. Yeah, it's funny because I saw... I saw it, like, flashed across the screen on Netflix, I think. Yeah, it's Netflix. Yeah. And before I even knew it was nominated, I was like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Maybe I would like this. And then I think I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this doesn't look great. But then <laughs> but then we had to watch it. <laughs> Shout out to our friend Anna. I think this is pretty funny that because she's a big Cumberbatch fan. Uh-huh. Really, I've seen Doctor Strange probably more times than most people. Mm-hmm. And I think when we told her this was a Western, she was like, I love Benedict Cumberbatch, but I won't watch a Western for him. <laughs> I don't I don't blame her. <laughs> Which, I, I, okay, I don't have that same uh, compunction necessarily about things set in the West, but let's go, let me give the synopsis. So this is by director Jane Campion, who has had a long career, although it's been sporadic in its production. She, her most famous movie is The Piano, for which she lost Best Director to Steven Spielberg in 1993. This is based on a book from the 60s by Thomas Savage. Stars Benedict Cumberbatch as Phil Burbank, a man's man, cowboy, and world-class jerk mm-hmm. who can't seem to suffer anyone near him to have any kind of happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, who constantly puts people down and is passive aggressive towards them. And uh, he's apparently very like well educated and smart, but he's out here on the ranch doing, you know, ranching cattle with his brother played by Jesse Plemons. Mm-hmm. Got his cow hide and whatnot. And whatnot. Jesse Plemons becomes interested in a woman named Rose Gordon, played by Kirsten Dunst. Which I didn't realize they were married, the actor and actress. Oh, in real life, yeah. In real life. I wish I would have known that going into... I don't know if that would have changed anything, but I just thought that was interesting. It's an, it's an interesting connection, for sure, mm-hmm. that I was also not aware of until the nomination started oh, coming out. Oh, I didn't out. realize that. Okay. Mm. And Dunst is kind of put out, beaten down. She's not maybe uh, doing that great for herself. She's a blah. And she has a son, played Peter, played by Cody Smith-McPhee, who is, shall we say, not the platonic idea, masculine ideal uh, for the Old West. He's, he's a little awkward. Awkward talk. Yeah. Well he, all, well, he, like Phil, is very intelligent. Like he's studying, I think he's studying law, is it? No, or didn't medicine? he want to be like a, yeah, because he likes to dissect things or whatever. Medicine. He's studying, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and likes to make paper flowers or something like that. Yeah, he has some affectations that don't endear him to the cowboys. Mm-hmm. And so Phil seizes on this and makes an enemy of him. Mm-hmm. And then when George, Phil's brother, takes uh, Rose in to live with them, she then becomes kind of a prisoner because she's locked in there with Phil, who... Mm-hmm torments her in various ways and plays the piano a lot better than her this is a kind of a slow burn of a drama it is well shot using new zealand to stand in for montana Hmm. and it's i mean it's a character piece it's basically just the four of them really make up the the entire movie and builds to a 
basically one plot point that kind of happens near the end. Mm-hmm. Amanda, what did you think of the power of the dog? Uh, it's kind of boring and slow. Everything was brown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of Westerns, but I am a fan of Benny Cumberbatch. Um, I don't know. I think like all the characters were just weird to me and I couldn't, I couldn't connect with any of them. Even like Kirsten Dunst, who I like as an actress, but her, I just like felt sorry for her. And I was just like, ah, oh, she's so bland. Um, I don't know. And, and the sun was weird, but, um, it, it was just kind of strange and slow and weird. Okay. So the, the title of this film hints at the central mechanism, which is power and the way or the various ways that that is held or wielded or reversed. You have the drama kind of turns on, you know, who's kind of in charge or uh, did that did that dramatic theme do anything for you as you were watching? Well, okay. So I, I did say it was boring and all that. But then, I mean, I liked the end. I liked what happened. I didn't expect certain things to happen. And so that, like, redeemed it a little bit more. I mean, like, <laughs> more than other Oscar-nominated movies, like Best Picture movies. So... But I wouldn't watch it again. I wouldn't be like, man, that was actually pretty good. I would, I would watch. No, I wouldn't sure. suffer through that again. <laughs> I really wouldn't. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I definitely had a hard time with this one. I, I was expecting it to be the slow burn that it was. I think, I think Campion's direction is is good. I think she has some some really standout shots, and I think there's some. Uh, some kind of symmetry at play in what she's doing visually that serves the material well in a really kind of subtle way. I didn't care about much else that mm-hmm. happened in it. Uh, none of the characters made much of an impression on me, no. at least not positively. Cumberbatch is one of the few, one of our few British actors who cannot do a convincing American accent. <laughs> I, I, and I, I know that. And I can already hear the counter argument to my argument, which people are going to say it's the entire point that he doesn't make a good cowboy. Like they're going to say that's that's thematically resonant that he's trying to fit in in a place that he doesn't necessarily belong. Mm-hmm. I only buy it to a point. I don't think that we're supposed to think, oh, wait a minute, is he like from New Zealand or something? So that I didn't like him playing the character they did. I like you know Sherlock and all of his other roles better. I just think I know that I know that Campion here is making capital A art cinema. I think you can make art cinema and have more than one single plot point in your two hour movie. Yeah. And I think I would have liked that from Power <laughs> of the Dog. And then so I think some people are probably gonna like this on its thematics and it just I don't know. To me, we've been there. We've been there already, we've been there a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is breaking new ground in twenty twenty one. No. So yeah, I, I, this one is uh, a bit of a miss for me. Mm-hmm. Understood. All right, and we have one more to go, and that is West Side Story. Si nos vamos, que sea con dignidad. Pues yo prefiero irme con 500 pesos. A ver, Bernardo, ain't keeping their dirty money. ¿Verdad, María? 
María, ¿y usted está hablando? ¿Qué están from there? Solo los del sindicato tocan eso. We have eight floors to clean. María. Oh, I am terribly sorry, señora Fausta, but I do not clean floors. No, no, no. I wear my $17.98 silk shawl. Ajá, muy graciosa. <laughs> Now get down. She's dreaming about her boyfriend. Oh, Chino. Chino. Sí. She's in love with Chino. Este Lo único que voy a decir es que I'm happy in my fancy rich lady apartment. Oh. I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and bright and I pity any girl who isn't me tonight. The a retelling of a remake, I guess, of the movie that won Best Picture in 1962, I think it was, mm -hmm. the original, um, directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Tony Kushner. And I think, like a lot of people, when I heard this was happening. I was like, that's a stupid idea. You shouldn't remake West Side Story. Mm -hmm. I'm already, you know, it, it takes a lot to get me invested in a remake because I'm like, they've already done it and they've already done it really well. Mm -hmm. Or at least in this case, I'm actually not the hugest fan. I'll, I'll confess. I'm not the hugest fan of the 60s version of this, the, the movie version. I don't, and I've never even seen it. So I don't think I have. So that's, in that sense, it's not like a core text for me or something that it has to stand up to this, you know, uh, this shining beacon object mm -hmm. but nevertheless i'm like do we need steward to do this can he do something else and so i was a skeptic and i don't even know that i need to explain the plot of west side story yeah, but essentially it, it yeah. is romeo and juliet set in new york city with rival gangs uh the the sharks and the jets the jets yes and in the midst of that, there is a romance where Tony, who is a jet, falls in love with Maria, who is a shark, and this creates problems for everyone. And so the two uh, gangs are at odds. And, and they're a, um, the, the, sh the sharks are Puerto Rican, mm -hmm. and so there's a, a racial dynamic at play where the, um, you know, the, the jets think, don't want them in their territory. And, and this is all set on the backdrop of... Because he doesn't know the territory. Sorry. The music man. Music man, there it is. <laughs> All set in the backdrop of a New York City that is changing irrevocably and is going to have no place for either of these gangs very soon. Uh, musical, Stephen Sondheim, very well regarded. You probably know, if, you, if you've never seen it, you probably know some of the songs. You probably have heard I Feel Pretty. You probably have heard America. Yeah, and I, uh, I was in some plays when I was in fifth grade. I was in the play Kids, and we sang I Feel Pretty. And I think Kids? Yeah, I don't know. It was maybe like... Like a jukebox or something? It, I, I think it was a bunch of different songs and like scenes from different plays. So I didn't realize that we were doing songs from West Side Story. But it was I Feel Pretty. Was there another one in it? I can't remember. Is there another popular song? America? No, we didn't. <laughs> we wouldn't have done that one. That was a good one, though. I mean, there's other popular songs from this. I mean... Maybe it was just I Feel Pretty. Anyway. Maria? Yeah, it was I Feel Pretty. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. But okay, so that that's that's the take. It's West Side Story done again by Steven Spielberg in 2021. Um, you know, what what were your thoughts? What do you think? I thought it was enjoyable. I thought it was pretty. I enjoyed some of the songs. Like you said, what was it? America. Yeah, I enjoyed that one. And I feel pretty was fun. Um so I I liked it, but then I wish that 
was it Ansel or Ansel? How do you say his name? Ansel Elgort, yeah. who played Tony. I wish that he did a better job. Like, and I don't know how the old one is, like the old movie. Um, but I, I wanted to see more of like them being in love or I don't know. And I guess like in Romeo and Julia, it's like, Oh, they meet each other and they fall in love. And it's like, I'm just like, I don't, I don't believe that. Yeah. And so I think if it was like, I, I wanted, I wanted to connect with the characters more so that I cared more. But then like the scene at the end, I mean, I, I got like emotional. They got me, but, um, but I don't know. I, I was just like, I don't believe that they fell in love that quickly, like on the dance floor or whatever. But I did enjoy like watching dancing and singing. So that was that was a lot of fun. And all, but like the music, I I didn't enjoy the majority of the songs. So as a musical, I was like, eh. Like I love a lot of other musicals. Like I would I would choose those over West Side Story. Yeah. But I did enjoy it. Like I wasn't like, oh, this is boring. Yeah, yeah. I I'm with you on the music. I think it's I mean obviously you know this is music goes way back. It's hit and miss. Mm-hmm. I think the songs we've named are the ones that we kind of like to stick in our memory. Yeah, I was going to say I I can tell like a a good musical is one that there that song is going to stick in my head like I'm going to remember it and I'm going to want to sing it, you know? Yeah. Anyway, this is definitely for me. It's not an um, it's not one of my favorite musicals, and it has a Tony and Maria problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that Tony and Maria are just not as interesting as the other characters. They're not interesting at all. When you're with, even if you really like the songs, if you really like Maria, or you like some of the you know some of those songs that they give to those characters, mm-hmm. when you're back with the sharks when you're back with Anita and Bernardo, the movie comes alive right. in a way that it doesn't when mm-hmm. it's with those other two characters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that there's any way aside from really expanding the timeline to make their romance work Yeah, it because is it really. has to be flash in the pan, mm-hmm. hard on my sleeve. I'm a stupid 17 year old. Mm-hmm. Like it has to be that yeah. uh, in order for this to work as as written. Right. And so you just kind of have to just give it that. And so I guess part of that your reception depends on your ability to do that. And I don't I don't think any any version of this so far has has managed to overcome that problem entirely. So maybe it's just going to be that you just have to accept it to really enjoy the. Which is I'm, which I'm not saying give Spielberg's film a break for for maintaining that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Although I do think, uh, I think the, the script by Kushner is very smart for the most part in what it adds and what it changes. I think the dialogue that has been added is, is, is good. And I think some of the, the way they've switched some of the songs around uh, it serves the movie or at least is, is, you know, canny in the way that it does that. The all of the supporting performances in this, uh, you know, if we ignore Elgort as the lead, mm-hmm. uh, I think are really strong. Obviously, Debose won for her portrayal of Anita. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about Mike Feist as Riff? Because that was not just my favorite performance in the movie, but one of my favorite supporting performances of the year. I don't remember 
who Riff was? The leader of the shark. Oh, sorry, the leader of the Jets. He's the he's kind of like the yin to Tony's yang. Oh yeah, he was fun. Okay, I just had to I had to look at his face. He yeah he was he was a lot of fun. I really liked his presence in the film. I felt like he embodied the the danger of this character, but also the naivete mm-hmm. and the need to kind of. He's like trying to project a confidence that he doesn't fully have. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really worked for me. And I thought that this was respectful of the original West Side Story. Uh, I like that they brought Rita Morena back, who she oh, played yeah. Anita in the original. They gave her a new character to play, gave her a song and everything. So that's kind of a nice touch of like passing the torch of like, it's kind of like, oh, Mm -hmm. she kind of, you know, we have the stamp kind of approval of this old cast to be doing this new film. And I thought the direction was fabulous. I thought the, the staging was really cinematic. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel, it didn't feel like I was watching a stage play. I thought it was really colorful. I thought all the performances, like I said, again, accepting, you know, Elgort's okay in it. Um, Zegler's better and everybody else I think is really firing. Yeah. And oh, and then another another fun uh, number is Officer Krupke, G Officer, G. Officer Krupke. Oh, yeah. That was, they all talk about how they're, you know, why they are ruffians and hooligans. Yeah, that, that was a good scene. That was a really good scene. And that was staged with good athleticism. I think the fights feel dangerous. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, it's not just... I think one of the big problems I have with the old West Side Story is I can never quite get past how artificial it looks mm-hmm. and how you've got these guys that are like supposed to be in a gang, but they're like snapping their fingers and twirling around on their toes. Mm-hmm. We get that in the very beginning of this with the oh, yeah. with the Jet song, mm-hmm. but then it kind of mellows out. It's not all the same choreography. And I think that choreography would be a little out of place in a modern story. Yeah, the fight scene, I, I think I remember being kind of like anxious. I was like, Oh no. Like, I mean, I think we like already knew what was going to happen because of like the Romeo and Juliet story, but I was actually like nervous for them. So I think they did a good job with that. So suffice to say, I was incredibly impressed with the adaptation of this. I think it's Spielberg's best movie in quite some time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I found it thrilling. I found it romantic. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Cool. Okay. This one, one Oscar for the night for Ariana DeBose Best Supporting Actress for Anita. Mm -hmm. You go, girl. And that, Amanda, is our 10, count them, 10 Best Picture nominees for the year 2021, despite the fact that we're a third of the way into 2022 now. Wow. And so having talked about all of these, do you think anything, uh, having maybe just reminisced about them in your mind as we've gone through this, do you think this will change your ranking at all? Or is your list pretty solid? I know I'm looking at my list right now. Um, I I feel like it's pretty solid. I I feel like I don't think I can. I don't think I would switch things around. Would I? Mm. Okay. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna share both of our lists. We're gonna rank these, or we have ranked them mm-hmm. from uh, ten to one, starting with our least favorite and going to our favorite of these films. Would you like to share with the with the audience at home? Mm-hmm. Are we going to go back and forth? Uh, would do you want? I, I was I was going to say maybe just share. We'll share our list one at a time. Okay. But if you want to go back and forth, we can. We've already talked about everything, okay. so there's not really much else to say. All right. So you just want me to count down ten to one? Sure. Okay. So my number ten movie was Belfast. Okay. Not surprising. 
followed by Dune in ninth place. Um, Power of the Dog, because, you know, you can't, for Dune and Belfast, you can't tie them for 10th or the Power of the Dog. <laughs> anyway. Um, so you're saying officially your 8 through 10 is a tie for last honestly, place? Honestly, 7 through 10. 7th wow. was Don't Look Up. Well, I don't know. Maybe we wouldn't get, maybe we would just say 8 through 10 was kind of a bust. <laughs> um, maybe 7. 6 is Nightmare Alley. And then uh, in 5th place, I put West Side Story. Four is Coda, and then three, Licorice Pizza. Two was Drive My Car, and then one was King Richard. Okay. I, I would have put Drive My Car first, but I don't know. I just, I really liked the humor and just the story of King Richard. Yeah. <laughs> maybe after watching the Oscars, I'd be like, ah, oh, maybe I should put Drive My Car first. No, but it's about the... It's about well, I'm glad, then I'm glad that you saw it, obviously, before all of that so mm-hmm. that you could form an opinion on it without it being overshadowed by the whole Smith debacle. And honestly, even after that, like, it was, it was a really great movie and I enjoyed it. So I don't think I would have, I don't think I would have changed it. All right. How about you? What's your list? Seven? You know, our lists surprisingly are not that different, but the, oh. there will, there will be some, definitely some, some changes, but okay. all right. So, uh, my number 10 is actually Dune and I'm not surprised. Uh, I think because the ones at the bottom of my list are going to be the ones that I just uh, was a little bored by. Yeah. And I was, there There was more of Dune to, to be bored by than these other two films. <laughs> uh, my number nine is Belfast. Mm-hmm. My number eight, The Power of the Dog. Okay. Number seven, Don't Look Up. Hey, we have a lot of And I, I, I struggled with that one because I was like, well, I think The Power of the Dog is a better made film than Don't Look Up, but I think Don't Look Up was more entertaining to me. Yeah. So I gave it the edge on that yep. one. Mm-hmm. For my number six is Coda. Okay. Number five, King Richard. Oh, okay. That's right in the middle. Yeah, okay. My number four is Nightmare Alley. Number three, Licorice Pizza. Oh, twins. And I really struggled with number one and two. I, yeah. I, I could have gone probably either way on this, but I'll, I'll stick with my initial impressions. Okay. My number two is Drive My Car. Mm-hmm. And number one is West Side Story. Which is just surprising to me that that was your number one, but good for you. Yeah. I was just, uh, I don't know. I was in it when it was Wait, happening. What like, was your fifth? King Richard. <laughs> your fifth was my f- number one and my fifth was your number one. That's funny. Yeah, there was a lot of symmetry in the in the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, in fact, let me just, I'll, I'll go so far as to say, since I, I put it at number one, I, I think the Spielberg film is better than the original. Mm-hmm. I think it actually improves on it in some really measurable ways. And, you know, I think that it, it overcomes, for the most part, not entirely, the some of the weakness of the, of the central leads. And I think the cast is really good. So I know I've already talked about it, but if you're, uh, I guess I just want to say, because I think a lot of people were like, are probably where I was, which is like, why is there another West Side Story? You mm-hmm. know? So if you're thinking about it, you're like, oh, I, you know, maybe I would give this a shot. You definitely should, because it's worth it. I was going to say, out of all these movies, which ones would you say, would you tell people like, you should take the time to watch this? That's a good question. And I think it obviously depends on everybody's, you know, each, each individual person I'm going to give different mm-hmm. recommendations to. So, you know, I would give different recommendations to, uh, you know, to you than I would necessarily to somebody else. But I think 
I think the thing that the one that probably people should check out the most is Drive My Car. I would I would agree. Drive My Car. I also think King Richard because I just enjoyed it. But I think Drive My Car because it's just like a it's a different kind of film. And I think people need to, you know, expand on their. That's just it. It's the kind of movie that I think people sometimes need to push to see. Yeah. And I think if they do, they're going to be rewarded for that. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, those are our lists. That's our rundown. Thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully you made it to the end of all this. That was a lot. Maybe one or two people still care a couple weeks after the Oscars. (laughs) (laughs) Billy. (laughs) Yeah, Billy, baby. Uh, I'd be interested to hear if anybody else uh, has watched any of these films or all of them. And if you, you know, take issue with what we said about them or, you know, especially if you, if you watch one of these, maybe based on this conversation, please tell us what you thought about it. Uh, we'd love to hear how that went. Even if it's just, I can't believe you, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, wasted two and a half hours of my life. <laughs> Wait, we just podcasted for two and a half hours. Oh, I just, I meant that any one of these films. (laughs) I know. Yeah. I'm kidding. Um, Yeah. And and how do people reach us? Well, we do have an email account. Oh, we do. Okay. We do. Uh, (laughs) Nobody uses it, but. It's podcast at scenesfromamarriage.com. Sounds right. Does that sound right? I think so. You can also reach us on Instagram. We're at scenesfromamarriage on Instagram. That is S-E-E-N scene. Yeah, do that. And you can see our fun Oscar pictures. Yeah, follow us on Instagram and we'll post stuff very rarely. Very rarely. But maybe maybe we'll start, we'll get back to our podcasting. and Maybe so. And if you reach out, uh, let us know whether you are interested in hearing more nostalgic movies like Amanda and Daniel favorites from the past. Mm-hmm. Or if you'd like us to hear us talk about some new releases yeah maybe some new releases and maybe we can uh tweak the format based on that so i'd love to hear what you think all right thanks for listening good night everybody bye